You know, the series Unstuck has reminded me of an old comic strip, the uh, Charlie Brown Peanuts comic strip, and one particular comic strip in which Linus comes up to Charlie Brown and he says to him, Charlie Brown, you want to know what the trouble with you is? And Charlie says, no thanks. <laughs> and then they kind of just look at each other blankly for a few moments. And then Linus says, Charlie Brown, the trouble with you is you don't want to know what the trouble with you is. <laughs> exactly. Like, amen. <laughs> I can say that again. <laughs> we all feel that way. But the thing that's been so encouraging me, again, about this series is I've heard from dozens and dozens of you how you're not like Charlie Brown. You've come into this series and you've said, I want to know what the trouble is. Even if the antidote is sometimes difficult. And that's been really, really encouraging for me as a pastor, i got to tell you. To see people making these steps to build spiritual habits and get out of the traps of loneliness and lust and apathy and comparison. And today we're going to talk about another one. It's my belief that Jesus wants you to be victors. It's my belief that Jesus wants you to be overcomers of whatever trap you might be in today. In fact, there's these beautiful words from the Apostle John who was perhaps the closest of friends to Jesus. He calls himself in the Gospels the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he, he says this in a little letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, you dear children are from God and have overcome all of them because the one who dwells in you is greater than the one who dwells in the world. And so the result of this is you are an overcomer. You've overcome all of them, meaning the enemy of our souls, the world and its temptations, and our own personal lusts, our own personal temptations, whatever they might be. We have overcome them. We have the power, the potential, do you believe this? The potential to overcome them because the one who dwells in us is greater than the one who dwells in the world. Mm. And that's going to apply to today. God designs that we would be overcomers through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And I am trusting, I am praying that God would lead a few of us to overcome today this big, nasty, disgusting poison called bitterness. It's something that all of us deal with from time to time, the poison of bitterness. We're going to be in Matthew 18 for the most part today. I encourage you to turn there right now in the New Testament if you are new to the Bible, that's fine. There's a table of contents at the beginning of the Bible. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're, is where we're going to be for the most part today. But bitterness, simply speaking, is this. It's allowing someone else to live rent-free in your mind. It's allowing someone just to dwell there and they ain't paying nothing for it. 
Bitterness is, as has been said, you drinking the poison and expecting someone else to be hurt. Bitterness is this universal experience that we all feel from time to time that comes from the false expectation that people will not let you down. It's a false expectation. And that's where bitterness comes from. It's a universal experience that comes from the false expectation that things will go my way in this life and people will not let me down. It's such a huge false expectation that it becomes this octopus of sorts that wraps its eight long muscular arms with all of its tentacles around our bodies and around our necks and around our minds such that we can be strangled by it. It's really that serious. We must fight it if we're going to become overcomers. Fortunately, we have a Savior named Jesus, a Redeemer who cares about us a lot. He loves you very much. He likes you a lot. And so he, he wants to help you with this. And so he talks about bitterness and unforgiveness a ton. Look at this one passage here with me in Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Peter, one of the inner 12, the closest friends of Jesus, came to Jesus. And he asked him, Lord... How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I, I love that Peter asked this question. That he actually has the boldness to go ahead and ask it. Like, how many times do I have to forgive that neighbor who never shovels his walkway? How many times do I have to forgive that uncle who is always bombastic at our family gatherings? Like, how, how many times? We've all asked that question, just not quite as loudly as Peter does. We keep it to ourselves. Peter just go ahead and he asked Jesus, do, do I really have to do it again and again? How many times do I have to forgive this person? Jesus answers, verse 22, I tell you, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. As some translations actually put it, 70 times, seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay that debt off, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Please be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Really incredible statement, well, what's going on here? Yeah, you have a master who in this passage represents God. It's a parable, it's a story. Jesus is given this parable to teach us something about heaven, something about God. And the master represents God, and the servants represent us. And the servant comes to the master and says, I have this incredible debt that I cannot repay of 10,000 bags of gold. Your translation might put it 10,000 talents. A talent is not an ability or a gift. It's a Roman currency of money. In the Roman currency of money, a talent was a bag of gold. 
worth 20 years wages. One talent was about 20 years wages for a servant in his master's house. So 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents would be how many years of wages? Math majors? 200,000 years. This man owes the equivalent of 200,000 years of wages, which my guess is he ain't paying back anytime soon, right? He's not. And yet the master has mercy on him, has compassion on him as he asks for forgiveness of this debt, which is meant to illustrate to us the mercy of our Father for us, and he forgives to him what he could never work off on his own. You hear me? The master forgives to the servant. God forgives to his children. God forgives to the servants what we could never work off on our own. Here's the point of this point in the story. Our Father forgives the debts that you and I could never pay off. He forgives the debts that we could never work off, that we could never pay off, that we could never pay back. There's nothing we could do to get right with God on our own. You believe that? Our master just comes in and he forgives us. This is illustrating a crucial theological principle, which we talk about often in here, that God is gracious. And in his grace, he comes to us due to no goodness in our own, due to nothing that we could possibly deserve. And he says, I choose to forgive you beyond what you could ever deserve, beyond what you could ever imagine. Romans 5 puts it this way, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while there were still 10,000 bags of gold, that we were debtors to God, he forgave them all. While we were still sinners, while we were far from God, while there's nothing we could do to repay it, he came in and through Jesus Christ, he paid it all. Jesus begins his answer to Peter's question by reminding Peter of God's much greater forgiveness than he could ever imagine. Now, once again, why does Peter ask this question? Because he's been hurt. Same as us. He asked this question for the same reason that we would. He's been wronged. On any number of occasions. And you cannot get into adulthood without the experience of being wronged. Many times. You can't get it through adolescence, through the teenage years, through high school, through middle school even, without the experience of someone wronging you deeply. So Peter is asking this out of his own personal experience, which is much the same as all of ours. I've been hurt. And it's really hard to forgive those who have hurt me. Now, Jesus hasn't directly answered Peter's question, if you've noticed. Right? But he sure is winding up. He hasn't directly answered the question, but he's done quite a wind-up here, and he's about to bring it home. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Okay, your translation might say 100 denarii. Denarii is another currency in the Roman Empire, and the denarii was like a day's wage. And people were paid about 
a denarii a day, just as much in the world people are paid about a dollar a day, so you can think of that as about a hundred bucks, as opposed to the billion bucks that he's just been forgiven. So he, this servant who's just been forgiven a billion is encountered by a fellow servant who, just, who owes him a hundred, a hundred silver coins, a hundred dollars, a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. I was merciful to you because you begged. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What's Jesus doing here? He's pushing hard on the button of bitterness and unforgiveness. He's pushing at some of our raw spots this morning. He's pushing hard on the reality that all of us really want the forgiveness of God that we understand we cannot earn, and we receive that with joy. But we repel at the thought of forgiving others who have done much less to us. You see, our Father forgives us a far greater debt than we could ever repay, but we tend to withhold forgiveness of much smaller sins committed against us. Isn't that right? He forgives us a far more. We tend to reject or fight against forgiving much smaller sins, much smaller debts, much smaller trespasses that were committed against us. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ today, you have received God's love, which is in large part His forgiveness. God's love is very, very specific. It's not vague. It's not abstract. It's very specific. And it's specific forgiveness of your specific sins, of my specific sins, which he says again and again about me, Adrian, I hate those sins. And yet I have specifically, not vaguely in an abstract sense, but in a very specific sense, Adrian, I have forgiven you of your sins. My love for you is that great. It is concrete. It is not abstract. You see. And he's committed... This forgiveness to me, not 70 times, not even 70 times, seven times, but he has forgiven me, he has forgiven us, don't do the math, unlimited forgiveness. And yet when someone comes to me with an unkind word, I find it incredibly difficult to forgive them. Like someone comes to me with one unkind word and it's like, man, them are fighting words. We're in trouble. Like why do we do that? When you consider how much You've been forgiven. It's just incredible, isn't it? There's a, 
a couple here in our church, uh, on our staff actually, I was talking well with him last week, when they had the, this experience of bitterness growing in them, they had to pause and recognize how much the, they had been forgiven and had to develop a plan to deal with the bitterness that they were experiencing. And he shared this story well with me and shared that I could tell to you all the, this morning, it really resonated with me, but because it's so practical, it's an everyday type story, that they had the experience of someone hurting them, a pastor specifically. And they were in a church and their church was going in one direction, and they were highly involved in their church, and it was going great. And then a new pastor came in and took the church in a completely different direction and did some things that were flat out wrong. And they stood against it, and they went and talked to the pastor, and they had the necessary conversations, but it still went in the wrong direction. And they prayed about it and thought through it for a long, long time, and eventually had to make the very, very difficult decision, we're going to have to leave this church. And this pastor was taking the church in some wrong ways theologically. Eventually they had to leave the church. It was very, very painful. It was a great loss for them. And eventually they realized what's happening is we keep on talking about this man in our conversations with each other and with other people. And this bitterness is developing in our hearts. And we find his name on our tongue so frequently and so they had to pause, and what they did about it was develop a code system that we have to stop with this bitterness and let it go. We have to choose forgiveness to, to this person that has hurt us, and we have to choose to stop talking about him. And so the way we're going to do that is develop a code system that, honey, whenever you do this, whenever you start using his name or inferring him, I'm going to give you one of these. And honey, whenever you do it, I'm going to give you one of these. As they developed this code system where they took his name out of their mouth. So they stopped this root of bitterness from developing any longer in their hearts. You see, they understood what the Bible says, that there is a root of bitterness which can easily defile many. Hebrews 12, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many people all around get defiled. This is the reality of bitterness. That one person has it, and then every other person in their wake is defiled by it. It's like mint in my garden. My wife loves mint. God bless her. I like my squash and my zucchini and my tomatoes, but mint's got this deep root that goes way down and then it starts to strangle my squash and my zucchini and my tomatoes. So get it out. Okay, what do you, you can't just snip it out. You got to go way down deep to the root, lest it defile many all around it. Okay, this is what the Bible says again and again. This is what Jesus says again and again. This is what the New Testament testifies to us again and again about forgiveness, unforgiveness, and bitterness. The question for us with the time that we have remaining is how do we do it? And fortunately, the Bible has much to say about that. How do we overcome the poison of bitterness? How do we get unstuck from it? I, I'd like to suggest four simple things that we can do, which I know are anything but simple. But here's four steps though, that you can take if you're stuck in bitterness today. The first one is this, name the pain. You got to name it. If you say it's no big deal, then you won't actually deal with it. We live in a culture that unfortunately has lost all language for sin and forgiveness. And so as you know, when 
someone apologizes to you, the expected response nowadays is, that's no big deal. It's okay. Whatever. That's the expected response today when someone does something wrong to you. But what if instead, well, we said this. I forgive you for that. It hurt. And this is why it hurt. But I forgive you for that. Then what happens in that moment is this beautiful teaching opportunity to say the difference that sin actually makes to us, that it actually does indeed hurt us. It makes a difference. And what you said, what you did, did indeed hurt. But I love you enough and I love Jesus even more that I'm going to forgive you. And so we actually give words to that. We give language to that. And the thing that's so powerful about it is it fights against the current of our culture that says, eh, whatever. It fights against the current of our culture that says, I haven't really done anything wrong. What do I have to apologize for? Okay, that's the current of our culture. And that is flat out unbiblical. What we need to do instead is to say, I have done some things wrong and here they are and I am specifically sorry for these and I specifically forgive you for those. And that becomes powerful because it reinforces the language of what the Bible says related to the gospel of sin and apology and forgiveness. And it also reinforces this beautiful thing that that person who did you wrong, they can be forgiven. And we want them to be forgiven. We want them to be released from the chains of guilt. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things about the true Christian life is we want the best for those who have hurt us. Isn't that right? Like we want the best for people who hurt us. We want the best for people who are not nice to us. We want the best for people who are enemies to us. We want the best for people who spite us. Why? Because we want them to know Jesus. You see, we're different than other people that way. And this is how we get unstuck, is to name it, to specifically forgive, to say, I still love you, and I let you go. And guess what? I'm going to be freed from the chains of bitterness in the process as well. It begins with naming the pain. And then second, from there, you're not... You, you need to not only name the pain, but, but you also have to do some distinguishing between different kinds of hurts. And sometimes you have to acknowledge that there are certain hurts that when you forgive, relationship will not be restored. And that's a hard word to say. I wish it were not so. But there are some pains that are so intense that you cannot forget them even if you tried. There have been times that we've been betrayed. There have been times that you've been hurt. There have been times you've been abused. And it's so intense that you cannot forget it even if you tried. And so you, you would choose to forgive that person. But you may not be able to enter back into a deep relationship because that person just isn't emotionally safe for you at this time. I'm not talking about keeping record of wrongs. I'm acknowledging the simple fact that sometimes we don't have safety with people emotionally, and when we're in the same room, it's never going to feel safe, and there needs to be a separation even as there is forgiveness. Sometimes, tragically, in this fallen world, that is necessary to set boundaries up, and that's okay. Now, I'm talking about really, really serious stuff there. There's a lot of other times we just need to chill out. Like, we, we just need to realize... We're going to get hurt sometimes, and a lot of times it's going to be an accident. Take a chill pill. We do in our culture. We've gotten so thin-skinned that we oftentimes can't be confronted on anything. 
but there are occasions that forgiveness will not restore relationship, and we must be able to distinguish those. Otherwise, what we need to do is choose the best, choose to think the best of those who have wronged us. And this is a definite choice to think the best of those who have wronged you. Friends, there is a universality of wounding. It doesn't matter where you go. You're in any marriage. Eventually, husband and wife will wound each other. Eventually, in any family, kids will wound their parents and parents will wound their kids. And in any church, a pastor will say something that's not quite right. And in any life group, if you're committed to a life group over the course of many years, someone will say something that hurts you. If you're committed to a friendship over years, someone will say something that hurts you. We should expect this. And we should choose to think the best. You chalk it up first as miscommunication. And then if necessary, you go in humble and you initiate a conversation about the way that you were hurt. I love the way author and psychologist Larry Crabb puts it at Colorado Christian University. He says it this way in his book, Shattered. People will let you down and that's okay. That's okay. Expect it. We're in a fallen world. You'll let other people down too. Expect it. And much of it is just because of differences in personality and culture and communication styles. And so we choose at first, at base, to think the best of one another, lest this poison of bitterness grow up in us. I want this so much for you because I want you to be happy. Like if we drink the poison of bitterness less, we'll feel a whole lot better in life. You'll just be happier. Think about the way the Apostle Paul put it in some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most beautiful chapters that many of us love more than almost any other chapter in the Bible. And Paul says simply this, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love believes all things. Love trusts each other. Love thinks the best of each other. Love defaults to say, perhaps it was just a miscommunication. Love defaults to say, perhaps they've walked in a different pair of shoes than me. Love defaults to say, I trust you and I want to understand more from your mouth rather than my prejudice against you. I don't want to assume the worst, I want to think the best, and when I don't understand, I'll just ask questions. That's what love does. Is the Apostle Paul reading anyone else's mail in here? Okay, he's certainly reading my mail when he says, love believes all things. Chalk it up first to miscommunication. And then if it persists, go in humble and work it out. Have a conversation, work it out. And when that happens, it's so beautiful because you don't see that in the world. That's a demonstration. It's a manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth when that happens. I I, want to strongly encourage you to name the pain I want to strongly encourage you to differentiate between the small things and the big things. Well, where you may provide forgiveness, but that forgiveness doesn't completely restore relationship. I want to strongly encourage you to think the best of those who have wronged you. And most importantly, more than anything else, I want to encourage you, I want to ask you to receive the forgiveness of God. Receive it every day. Receive the forgiveness of God given to you each and every day. 
And then you will have a completely different capacity to give it to others. Receive, receive, drink, drink. Come to the fountain and drink from Jesus. Receive his love. Receive the gospel every day. And then you have something different to give to others. We simply cannot give to others what we don't personally possess. And something like this, forgiveness and unforgiveness and bitterness, we have to personally possess the forgiveness of God for us every day. Personally possess it every day. Then you have something to give to others. I want to give you a red flag warning as I close this morning. And I'm only doing this, again, because I love you and I want eternity for you. And I want present for you as well. I want present happiness and I want eternal joy for you. Jesus says something that are two of the most difficult verses in all of Scripture at the end of the Lord's Prayer. You remember the Lord's Prayer, the very end of it, it says, forgive us our sins as we, as we forgive others their sins. And then right after that, he provides a commentary on that statement, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive others their sins when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. But red flag, red flag, beep, beep, beep. Friends, Jesus, the words of Jesus here, if you do not forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's not my words. And I'm not sure if that means that you won't, you won't go to heaven if you don't forgive others, but it might. It really might. The red flag warning here from the lips of Jesus is, if you're not willing to forgive others, you simply may not understand how great is God's forgiveness of you. You may not yet understand that you've been forgiven 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 bags of debt. And out of that, Jesus invites you to forgive a lot less. And that's a red flag. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I've had to forgive things that are incredibly difficult. This is not a Bible study for me. I've been deeply wounded in life too. I have people who exist in my mind that I've had to choose to actively forgive, even when they sometimes have not apologized. Because I don't want them to live rent-free in my mind anymore. And because Jesus commands me to do it. There's going to be some who sin differently than you that you need to forgive. And this life that I'm talking about the life of forgiveness is incredibly difficult. I know that. I know that. But I want to ask this question. Is the life of bitterness easier? Is it? Somebody say no. No, it's not. The life of bitterness is the worst. May you receive the unconditional, unlimited forgiveness of our Savior. May you live out of that. 
And may he give you grace and strength to forgive others in turn. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask your help. We ask your help to live in this parable. It is a great one, it is a powerful one, it is a beautiful one when we consider how great the forgiveness of our God through Jesus Christ. May we remind ourselves daily, may we remind ourselves even now as we come to the communion table, how great your mercy is to us. Please, Lord, give us the presence of mind to receive your love daily. Father, I I ask for all my friends in this room that we would recognize in this moment how far you have gone for us, how far you've gone in giving your son for all of our faults, past, present, and future. Unlimited forgiveness for the ways that we have failed you. And I pray, God, that out of that, you would give us a newfound courage, a newfound unction, a newfound love to forgive others from the heart as you have forgiven us. Lord, I want to I ask specifically for anyone in this room right now who would admit that they are harboring some bitterness or some level of unforgiveness towards someone else that they haven't worked through. And, uh, and I want to I ask that you would touch them right where they are. And Father, you would remind them right now that you love them. And that you will help them in this. And they're not alone in having to gin up forgiveness by themselves. But they can come to you and look at the cross and remember how great the Father's love. And I ask God that as we come to the communion table, you would give them courage now to get right with that person, to attempt to get right with that person. To go out of their way, to humbly seek peace. Thank you, Jesus, that this is possible because of your great love. In the name of Christ, we pray together. God's people say, amen. Amen.